Hi everyone. Just a quick note before we start today's video. In our most recent IPSA student study session, I was asked quite a few questions on the current state of knowledge between Jungian psychodynamics, neuropsychoanalysis, and genetics. Our students can view the full six hours of recorded video from yesterday, but we thought that it would be useful to extract a few clips out and post them publicly so that you guys can see, as it's a topic that we get asked questions about quite a lot. We really, really hope that you find it useful. What is the genomic self? Uh, it, we've got to go back, first of all, to, to Jung to see the, the origins of this kind of thing, though you don't really need to. I, I would personally say that uh, Steve would have come up with this idea himself because I think it, 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 it is a core and it does explain an awful lot. So Jung obviously came up with the idea of the self, which uh, he said, or the way he wrote about it, was it was the organizing center of the psyche, the psychic totality. Now, we, in the most recent seminar, 25, Steve breaks down Jung's personal myth. He's also broken down briefly, but uh, Freud's personal myth and Adler's personal myth to say, look, these guys came up with ideas that are great. However, they are heavily infected with themselves as a personality. So Jung's concept of the self was psycho-reductive. It is an idea that there is an organizing center to the psyche, that there was no reference whatsoever to its biological basis. And so with the biopsychosocial model, we can say broadly, there's a huge problem there with the idea of the self. And it's like, okay, well, what, what do we do? We throw out the idea of the self? No, because it's demonstrable. There is an organizing center to the personality. However, that's called the genome. The, the genomic self, just consider it the genome as such. Rather than say a gene or a chromosome, just consider it the genome as such. Therefore, that's the same thing, or it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a corollary to the idea of the self being psyche as such, or psychic totality as such. So you can think of when you are first formed, when someone is first formed, the you know, two gametes, sperm, egg, they meet each other, you form that person's genome. Of course, there are other things injected into there as well, usually epigenetic regulators and some sugars and stuff like that. But you can see immediately that you start off with genome, and then nine months later, you have baby. Like you go from cell to baby. And so there's something in the genome that is therefore on timed release. And this, this is well known in, in biology. So in that first nine months, it's going through its own natural process. The way it works, by the way, in case anyone's interested, in, ter is, um, in terms of like half-life of RNA, is when the DNA is turned into particular things in the cell, it's going to have a built-in set half-life to it. And the half-life just basically means the amount of time it takes before this isn't technically correct, but it's correct for practicality. Amount of time it takes that thing to decay. So genes will be expressed, they will naturally decay, or genes will be expressed and they'll be taken up by other things. And that, that forms a time-based process. And then you live to be 120 years old, which is apparently, I think this is the University of Cambridge said this about 10 years ago, apparently that's the maximum lifespan for a human being, biologically, even though there was a woman who lived to 121 or 122, I believe. But you change over the course of that. So if you look at, I think the most pertinent one is that personal myth diagram. You've got the genomic self down the bottom and you're going through life. Like, well, chances are you're probably not going to fall off your personal myth through line while you're still in the womb, unless there was a biological based problem in there. But you technically could. Most of the time you're going to fall off of it because of psychosocial adaptation. They say, like, well, so whereabouts is that going to be? But all of this is going to come from the organizing center, which is the genome. If I go into every cell in your body and it would have to be in every stem cell in your body and I switch a particular gene on or off, I change all of you, all of you at once. It is the organizing center to everything. Uh, it's not a complete corollary to Jung's idea of the psychological self because the genome will vary from cell to cell um, in, 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 in a literal technical sense because one cell would have a mutation over another or one cell would have a particular 
um, uh, one gene to be turned off or one gene to be turned off. So for example, that's how you get specialization of cells. You know, you've got genome, but you've also got neurons and you've also got you know, um, cones and rods in the eye or, 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 or taste receptors in your tongue. So it, wouldn't, it would be the genome as such would be the best way to describe yeah. it. But a human being is not the genome. I think this is something where people, I've seen it before, and I know Steve's seen it before, where people can be trapped by the more sort of like bioreductionist approach and say we are just genetic. Even geneticists will say that even if you've got a genetic condition, that doesn't define you because there are so many other aspects to us. So you can consider the genome to be eternal if you want to, and it technically is. An individual genome is not. But the way the genome works is it will replicate itself. You know, you've got the, the, the double helix of DNA, the strands will break apart. And then because the, the bases on the DNA are complementary, you can maintain that information forever. All you need is the right cellular conditions to maintain itself. Whereas a human being is not eternal. A human being is produced by the genome and they are also psychosocial, whereas a genome is not psychosocial. It is just bio. So all those things make up a human being. And you can also put instincts, therefore, and emotions, but we'll just say mostly instincts into that model as well and say, well, an instinct like a human being is produced and then it is not produced. It is like take, taken away. It's taken out. That's why instincts have to be engaged with because they're always on so that everything has an arc of life, except if you consider it as such the genome that's, say, eternal. And therefore, that matches precisely what Jung was saying in ways that, to be completely honest, make no sense at all. And he, he knew that. He definitely knew that, unless you frame it in personal myth terms with what he meant by the self, just purely psychologically. Can a complex be inherited biologically? Theoretically, yes. Observation-wise, yes. The specific mechanism on how it manifests, we do not know, necessarily know specifically, but it is probably epigenetically mediated. The, the field of epigenetics is relatively new, only about 20 years old, and it's, um, it, it, it's blowing up. It's enormous, basically. So uh, you, you know that things are in, can be in, inherited genetically. That's the normal way which things are, are inherited. But the adaptation of the parents, in particular the mother, if she's got a child in utero, can also affect how the child turns out. So there's a very, very famous example of that, which is the Dutch famine studies. I believe that's the technical name just for um, Googling it, which is, you know, you had a whole bunch of people that were in a famine, it's, it's essentially. But the children of the mothers who were in that famine grew up to be on average like fatter if you like to be non-pc than the average person and the mechanism through that was found to be um, epigenetic and it was basically as if the um the the things that sit on top of the genome so the things that regulate gene expression because we've, we've all got you know the same set of genes if you like but depending on which ones are turned on and off at any one time during our life will depend on how we actually turn turn out they were more primed or we'll say adapted to the environmental niche of less food so they were able to it seems anyway to extract more caloric content out of the food that they were receiving so yes definitely what steve and pauline have both observed is that complexes appear to be inheritable as well which is so you can say for example that you might develop or a patient might develop an anxiety disorder and then say a parent also has one and you can say well that was passed down through psychosocial so psychosocially from the father or the mother to the child but Stephen Pauline also believe these things can be passed down biologically as well in terms of a specific mechanism that would say get into a nature paper we do not know but it is probably epigenetic in in etiology if that answers the question
How are Pangsep's seven basic emotional systems linked to a shyness complex? We, we can say broadly and with no judgment either that, you know, human beings are meant to do two things, really. We're meant to actualize our instincts in line with our lifespan development. And obviously that changes over the course of your life. But we're also built for psychosocial adaptation at the same time. So if someone is chronically shy or indeed just even state dependently shy in certain situations, that is going to, to affect their psychosocial adaptation. Now, there's a healthy reason why someone might want to be shy many 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 of them for example they might have grown up in an abusive household and so to be more quiet was the optimal adaptation then and so continued unnecessary we can say in broad objective terms shyness later on in life would then be like okay this is clearly mal adaptive um but to take a look down at what instincts are being repressed i would say all of them or sorry we see instincts are being affected i'll say all of them because yes the seeking system will be affected but then also so will the panic system be affected say so seeking system might go down or in technical terms it won't go down because it's always on at the genomic level it will be diverted some, somewhere else or if it can't come out then you might generate some kind of symptom but then also panic might increase unnecessarily and then you know you, you might see care goes down because you know the panic system's more on or you actually can't express that care to somebody else so everything uh, that, that's the more systems approach of doing things at IPSA. You know, you take a look at everything and you're like, probably pretty much everything's going to be affected by this. The core of it is usually what you'll find is relating and relating seems to be, it seems to be all of those seven basic emotional systems together, not necessarily all at one time in the same magnitude, but to come together. So if relating is being affected, which it is in terms of shyness, then we could say that broadly those seven basic emotional systems are certainly being hit. If that helps. You've got genes that you call constitutively active. So they're always active, basically. But you, you, so you can take a look at the GMO and be like, okay, whatever genes produce in the neuroscience and therefore the psychology, say the seeking system broadly, will always be on. That doesn't mean that you're always in seeking mode, for, for example. Just like panic or grief, it's always on. And we know that because it's very easy to, to have panic triggered in you. So at the genetic level, if you're going to turn something from DNA into protein, which is basically you, the parts of you that are ready to go, then uh, that takes some time. You've got to go, you've got to turn it into RNA, and then you've got to turn that into protein. And then, you know, so it's going to take a little while. That's not so good if suddenly a predator turns up right in your face. You're not going to get that kind of immediate thing. So yes, they are always on. All of them are always on, but some of them are going to be co-repressed either at the level of RNA or at the level of protein. Um, if, if, if the genetic stuff is more difficult at this stage, that's completely understandable. I mean, I, I am currently in the process, have been for a while, of making um, a genetics module for this. Because, you know, one, because it's very, very useful, not necessarily in terms of you're sitting there with, with a patient and, you know, you're like, oh, well, this particular gene is turned on. But it's useful to get a grounding in what's actually going on. So I think you're absolutely right. And something to put, put in mind, though, is... Um, Perhaps with yourself, do some dialectical syncretism. And I mean this in, in a more um, play circuit sense. Uh, to do dialectical syncretism between typology and the seven basic emotional systems. Because you might, you, you might say that some people are more dominant, usually on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, in one particular emotional system than in another one. So you might say broadly someone who is overamped extroverted intuition, they might have overamped seeking system. And so that's that's where that fourth pillar comes in, which might you know, rather than say communicating with other physicians or other clinicians can actually come in within the different theories of the models themselves. So you can already start to see, well, there's genetics in there. There's broadly MBTI typology that's been refined over the course of Stephen Pauling's observations. 
then you've got Pangsep's work with with uh, and and Solms's work with neuropsychoanalysis. So I would I would consider it like that. Within that, the research and the conclusions are still up for we'll say objective debate because you know we don't have the paper on it to say this is what one person seeking system might be. But it will vary from person to person that they will always be on and they will change and co-repress one another. That's, you know, so uh, panic and care might be linked sometimes, but panic and care might co-repress each other at other times. And there are genetic models to explain that. The Personal Myth Ultimate Handbook is now available for pre-order. For anyone who has a yearning deep in their very genome to become who they truly feel they should be, this guide is utterly indispensable. Pick up your copy today and make 2021 the year you truly begin to become yourself.